Let's talk about The Bachelor. Let's. What the crap is happening? <laughs> Listen, I, man, I, uh, I've a little bit come full circle on Corinne. Not that I like Corinne. Not I think that she's I, perfect for Nick. I think she's kind of perfect for Nick, but also, I know that somewhere in their, like, editor's vaults, they have another edit of the show where Corinne is, like, kind of like oddball spoiled rich girl, not the villain, and Vanessa is the villain of the show. Ooh, accurate. Don't you, can I, may I make a literary comparison? Please. I hope you think this is funny, because I thought it was. So pity laugh if you okay, must. Okay, okay. so I tweeted this the other day, okay. because I was watching The Bachelor, and I was thinking, Raven, she's a mass market paperback. <laughs> Rachel, she's literary fiction. Mm-hmm. Corinne, she's a romance novel. Vanessa, she's a self-help book. Oh. Which would you rather read? <laughs> That's my my literary take on The Bachelor in scene. Welcome to episode 108 of From the Front Porch, a collection of conversations on books, small business, and life in the South. My name is Chris Jensen, and I watch The Bachelor. And I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. It's reading recap time. Yay! What did you read this month? I read a lot of things. This will be the month I remember I actually liked a couple of audiobooks. Oh, yeah. So I think I read maybe more quantity-wise than I'm used to reading. Um, Or, I don't know, kind of. Um, Because I was reading more books at once than normal. Because you were doing two media. Yeah. Mm. Um, I'm also trying to get on the historical nonfiction bandwagon in hopes of, like, reading one chapter a night of mm. Hamilton. Oh. I'll report back. Um, but <laughs> in the meantime, yeah, I read, I feel like I read a lot of books in February, so it should be fun. All right, so let's start off. You okay. started with The Hate You Give. The Hate You Give is a young adult novel, I believe, by Angie Thomas. Um, it is a book based on, loosely based, I guess, on the Black Lives Matter movement. Okay. I picked it up because it was an ARC um, it was the start of Black History Month, and mm-hmm. you and I were both trying to read um, books by black authors this month. Um, and, yeah, YA is not my typical genre, as we already have established. And I, correct me on this, but I feel like a lot of young adult literature is dialogue-heavy. Um, I wouldn't know. Maybe you will. <laughs> when you, maybe when you attack, we'll attack a couple it. of reading resolutions. We'll talk about that at the end. <laughs> um... I could, so and please, well, I'm sure if I'm wrong about that, we will we will hear about it. But that's kind of sometimes my impression is that you get a lot of dialogue, and I know, and I have had conversations with some listeners who love dialogue heavy books. That's not really always my favorite, mm-hmm. and the hate you give has really compelling characters. There's basically this young 16-year-old girl, and she is in a car um, when she and her friend are pulled over, and they don't quite know why they're being pulled over, and there's a shooting involved with a police officer, and her friend dies, and we kind of get the fallout in her community, and we might see why protests happen if we are... I don't know, if we don't know why those normally happen, the book kind of gives you a good look at what happens in communities when these 
violent interactions occur between police and citizens. I appreciated all of that, mm-hmm. and I thought the writing was really good because I found the protagonist and her family in particular to be really well thought out and constructed. The book just to me was also really dialogue heavy, and so sometimes I felt a little bogged down in too much dialogue when I really wanted prose. Gotcha. And that, again, that may just be a personal, like, it's not right, wrong, better, worse. It's just what I prefer. I think that a lot of young adult literature does kind of have a lot of dialogue to help their character development, and that's not my favorite thing. But, again, I think that's purely preference. The book itself... I think is really great. If you are like me and maybe you need more information or want more information about the Black Lives Matter movement, this is why I think fiction is so great. Mm-hmm. Um, because it lets us in on kind of a world we might not be a part of otherwise. And for that, I really not only appreciated it, but I thought, again, well-constructed family that I really wound up caring about at the end and wanting to know what happened to these people. And she approached the subject with nuance. So in the book, there's also um, a black police officer who is clearly struggling with which community does he belong to? Does he belong to the um, law enforcement community? Does he belong to his black community? How does that work? And I really thought, especially for a YA novel, that's compelling. That's really and that's really nuanced and interesting. And I think that's happening right. in a lot of communities. And and to be able to talk about it safely is what fiction does best. So, The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. I think she's a Southern writer. I think she's from Mississippi. Um, I also think this might be a movie um, oh. coming out. So okay. I feel like I read that it was going to be made into a motion picture here pretty soon. So, The Hate You Give, um, I really liked it. I thought it was good. Timely. Good. Timely. Um, how about the next one? This is how it always is. Oh, can we talk about what I read? This? I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm just looking at this physical list and... Ooh, lots of things here. <laughs> so this is how it always is. I'm honestly quite hesitant to describe because I went into it cold, and I don't often go into books cold anymore. As you know, I feel like we frequently hear about books before they come out, and so I don't really get to approach a book right. without any knowledge about it previously. And let's pretend you did, and let's talk about the cover. Yeah. The cover is gorgeous. The cover is gorgeous. Just this spiral of an orange skin. Yes, which is why I was this is why I was compelled to read it. Mm-hmm. I just, I really did think the cover was great. It's a real thing. And I had seen it, I had seen the cover in like catalogs or on Instagram, but I had not ever read a description. Mm-hmm. So Libro FM does audiobooks, um, but their audiobook purchases go toward independent booksellers. Mm-hmm. And they've got this great program where you can listen to advanced reading copies. And I saw that this one was available. I needed to test out Libro FM for a couple of reasons and decided to test it using this book. I'm glad I went into this book knowing nothing. And so I want to give listeners and readers that service. So here's what I will say without giving away. I don't want to give away too much. Basically, you've got a book about a family, um, a funny, quirky, eccentric family, and they are going through something really I don't think any family would envy, where their youngest child is expressing himself in ways that the family does not understand. Mm. And 
Gosh, the writing in this is phenomenal. I listened to the audiobook. If you are an audiobook listener, you'll love this because I'm not an audiobook listener and I thought it was fantastic. Mm. The narration is spectacular. Jordan even overheard me listening to it sometimes in the house and even he was like, who is this? Like, it, it was really <laughs> good. So the narration is fantastic, but I also know people who have read this book and really liked it. Um, the subject matter, I mean, it's not a light book because this family is going through things and but what I liked about it was it could have been an issue book. And instead of being a book about a certain issue, um, it's a book about a family. It didn't tokenize. No. Mm. This is a book about a family and how they react and how they raise their kids. And I found it to be utterly compelling. It's one of my favorite books of the year so far. I know it's only February, so that seems dumb. But I think it could make, could make a best list for me personally. I really liked this one. Good. Yeah. Good, good, good. And we will not spoil things for you. Yeah. So we'll move on to something called Last Things. Last Things. I gave this one to you. Have you picked it up yet? This is the graphic memoir. Oh, right. The ALS one. Yeah. Uh, I have not yet. Okay. I'm dying to hear what you think. Um, so Last Things by Marissa Moss. I picked this one up for a couple of reasons. First of all, Marissa Moss used to illustrate or do illustrations for American Girl magazine, <laughs> <laughs> of which I was a proud um, subscriber for like my entire childhood. And she also is the writer of Amelia's Notebook, which is like a children's illustrated book series. Um, they're, they're fantastic for middle grade readers. Um, so I recognize Marissa from that. But this is her graphic memoir about her husband's final months with ALS. Mm. Um, I This one we got in ARC format. I think it's releasing in March. Soon. Yeah, it's releasing soon. Um, but I finally picked it up like off of my towering stack because <laughs> Janet from Avid Bookshop said, I started this in my office one day and couldn't put it down. And I immediately thought, what? I never read in my office. I will do that today. And so I grabbed it off the stack and sure enough, like had a really hard time putting it down, which I think for me is often the case of, of a graphic memoir. Mm -hmm. I have a hard time putting those down. So this is heartbreaking. It is... It is hopeful in parts. It reminds me a lot of When Breath Becomes Air. Mm -hmm. But I really like that Marissa does not romanticize illness. And in many cases, it brought out the worst in her husband. And she does not sugarcoat that. Mm -hmm. He did not handle it well. And he was prideful and trying to protect his kids and often came across as gruff and harsh. And she talks about how that really hurt their marriage in those last days. And she talks about how frequently people will say, oh, the cancer brought us together or this disease helped my husband and I find each other again or fall in love again or whatever because we were living these final days. And she said that wasn't the case for her. Mm. And, and I love that she was brave enough to write that and to draw that. Um, the, the story is just heartbreaking but important, and I don't think it could have been told in another way. Mm. So I loved, I loved that, that she illustrated and wrote about these these days that were deeply hard for her family. Um, it's hard to read, yeah. but I think at one point Jordan was like, Annie, please read something. Like, like all the things I read this month were a little darker than maybe my typical territory. And Jordan, I think is about half had it. Cause I am deeply <laughs> affected by what I read. And so like weeping in bed next to my husband, what if this happens to you? Oh, like, it's just, I, but I do like, I, I feel like I'm a very empathetic reader, perhaps a more empathetic reader than person. Mm, that's not great. This book is really vulnerable, raw, 
an actual real life look at grief instead of a romantic one, which I think is important. And I love that she drew and wrote about it. So it's called Last Things. Even if you're not a graphic memoir person, Chris knows graphic novels, graphic memoirs are still pretty new to me, but I loved this one. The subject matter of a lot of the books I read this month were, it was hard, but, but important, I guess. And I, I appreciate well-told stories and when people are able to put to words what a lot of us will ultimately have to experience in life. Yeah. So you know, I, I really think about this all the time. I want to teach a class on, on grief, like uh, grief literature. Um, and I would definitely put Rosalie Lightning on there, Grief Observed by Lewis, Lincoln and the Bardo, which we'll talk about, can't wait to talk about. Uh, coming up. But uh, yeah, l- let's, let's move on. Into, okay. into the water. Okay, so Into the Water is like my token book I read for fun this month. So I had just finished Last Things, I was listening to Lincoln and the Bardo, I was reading Difficult Women, and Into the Water, the ARC by Paula Hawkins, the author of Girl on the Train. Yeah, author of Girl on the Train came in the mail, and I was like, okay, this will be my reward when I finish Difficult Women. I will just read this suspense novel, Mm -hmm. and it'll be great. Um, Good news, I do not think this is a sophomore slump. I really liked Girl on the Train. I know I have some friends, readers who I respect, uh, who did not like Girl on the Train. If you don't like thrillers, or if you... I mean, The Girl on the Train was somewhat predictable in parts, but I liked it. Um, Into the Water is the same same vein. So Mm -hmm. if you didn't like The Girl on the Train... Into the Water, probably not for you. If you liked The Girl on the Train, Into the Water, for you. Like, there, to me, the writing is about the same. Mm-hmm. There's not a significant drop-off in interest or writing style. Like, to me, um, Ruth Ware, Tana French, these are authors who, like, are consistently putting out decent, in my opinion, Tana French is putting out excellent um, suspense novels. And... I think we can maybe add Paula Hawkins to that list because Into the Water was really great. Good. Um, it is told in alternating voices by, I think, if I'm not mistaken, six narrators. And that, at parts, got a little bit like, who is this again? Like, I don't, who's Nikki? I don't remember. Like, I would After have to... After Lincoln the Bard <laughs> Yeah, well, I think that's part of it. I was like, oh, I'm reading... Well, and I'm also reading um, Homegoing. And mm. they're similar, where you're like, wait a minute, i got to go back to my character list. So, <laughs> Into the Water occasionally had that vibe. Um, it is about a town that has a river running through it, and women all throughout history have died by drowning, by committing suicide. They used to put witches in the water to see if they would sink or swim, like that kind of thing. So kind of this whole history of um, women dying in this water, and then now it's modern times, and someone has committed suicide, but then there's another one, and they wonder, oh, are these related? Are these homicides? Anyway, um, really well done if you liked The Girl on the Train. If you didn't like The Girl on the Train, this is not going to be for you. It's the same same type of deal. I really liked it, thought it was compelling. Comp aside, obviously, from The Girl on the Train, to me was Woman in Cabin 10. Okay. Same kind of feel. Um, I started reading it and really had trouble putting it down, So, which is always, to me, a good sign. That's what you want from that kind of book. Yeah. Good, good, good. One that you had the opposite reaction to that we've We've talked enough about it on the podcast, probably, but Difficult Women. Yeah, I'll just be brief about this one. You and I both read this one. Did you finish? I have not finished. Okay. No. Um, did you happen to read... Um, there was a story... I think I think you may have, because I think you may have mentioned it, but the story where the um, husband's father flies too close to the sun and hits the yeah, sun. Yeah, yeah. I really liked that story a lot, um, and I liked the story where 
the South secedes. Like, we're in the and second secession of yeah. the South. Gosh. Um, anyway, the subject matter of this particular book is tough. I've already talked about that. I would like to just reiterate that if you're a sensitive reader, there are still stories in this book that will be good for you, that you will enjoy. Um, but I am hearing back from a lot of readers that this was a tough one. And I think that's intentional. I, yeah. I don't think Roxane Gay is like, please just breeze through this. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I think she wants you to wrestle with it. It's tough and it's supposed to be tough. It's supposed to be tough. Um, anyway, I don't know if you have anything to add. You and I no, didn't get to talk really. about it together. Um, I, I feel like I reacted right between the way you and Emily did. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. Yep. Emily loved it. I, I, I loved the writing and had some hard time, yeah. had some difficulty with the subject matter. Um, but I think that has a lot to do with who I am. And, and I, I think that's intentional. Yeah. I think she wants to make the reader uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I will say one thing that I thought was cool that, and I, we may try to find it to put in the show notes, but Emily mentioned to me after the podcast, she heard an interview with Roxanne Gay mm-hmm. because one thing that struck us, and I'm sure it stuck you, struck you um, while you were reading, is she she's a fantastic storyteller in that she leads you right up to a point and then she, like, cuts and you then, off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Emily was saying in this interview she heard, Roxanne Gay says, well, I have a formula for that. I basically tell 85% of the story, mm. and I want the reader to do the last 15 a common editing trick, especially in like writing workshops, is to just remove your entire last paragraph. Great. Um, so to finish writing your story yeah. and then take out the whole last paragraph or even the last page. Yeah. And you can probably end it a lot mm. sooner than you think you can, and it makes a better story. I don't. Often. Know, I don't know if I mentioned this on the episode, but I know I. Of course, you and I have talked about the similarities to Miranda July. Yeah. And the Adam Johnson short story, um, but another. I mean, obviously very different, but to me, Flannery O'Connor was a master of that craft, and where she really would take you to that point and then leave you, and she kind of toyed with the Southern Gothic and the mm-hmm. grotesque, mm-hmm. Um, but she always, t- to me, she was genius in that way, too, where she led you to a point, and then she stopped and kind of let your imagination Oh, yeah, it doesn't give you a nice conclusion no. at all. No. Uh, lets you wrestle with it. Yeah. Try to figure out what this means. Yeah, and how you feel, and, and regardless of how I felt maybe during and while I was reading Difficult Women, it's also given me lots of things to gnaw and chew on after. And, yeah. I, and I do like that. And that's important. Yeah. If you want to hear more about Difficult Women, listen to our last episode, um, Love It or Love It, Volume 6. And now let's move on to the final book. This one I have read, and you have not quite finished this one yet? I'm, yeah, I'm not quite done. Okay, Lincoln and the Bardo by George Saunders. Mm, I talked about it, like, I talked about it positively when I first read it on last month's reading recap, but man, in hindsight, I think one of the best novels I've read as an adult. I love it so, 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 so much. Can we talk about, um, so you read it, told me that you thought I would like it, I'm loving it, I'm listening to it, um, which again is kind of new and different for me, but I'm... I really am appreciating the narration and what that kind of adds to the story. Right. Um, but you mentioned, and it's true, there are so many voices telling the story, and the format is so different and unique. And I would like to talk about how this book can get in the hands of people who might pick it up and be intimidated by it. Yeah, and I think it's easy to be intimidated by it at first because it is told in these like alternating narrators, but not six, like dozens, if not over a hundred. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of these narrators are, are people talking. Sometimes these narrators are excerpts from books that exist in the real world that are actually just books of history. Um, and they're all 
they all have like a tag at the end that say who it was. So it reads a little bit like drama, but without the character name at the beginning, the character name comes at the end of whatever they're saying, which might be a sentence or it might be five pages. Mm -hmm. um, there's no way to really know. Mm -hmm. And it took me, so I've been listening to it and I do think if this book is intimidating to you in the physical format, listening to it might be a good option yeah. um, because I think the narration has helped because I'm literally hearing all these different voices and some of them are Lena Dunham and um, Nick Offerman and then and David Sedaris. Yeah. Uh, but then some of them are, of course, voices I don't recognize. But I am loving that because I'm able to then hear how it switches around um, from person to person. It took me a minute to realize, oh, the, because I'm hearing it, it took me a minute to realize, oh, the name that they're saying after is who that belonged oh, to. Oh, so they do read the name. Yes. Okay, interesting. So it took me a minute to realize, oh, wait, does that name belong to what follows or what just came? So anyway, there was some confusion at first, but I think overall I'm having a really great experience because I'm listening to it. That being said, gosh, the writing is mm. phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And I was telling Chris, I listened to a passage this week where I just felt... I had to go get the physical book because I wanted to read it um, because it was so poignant and well done. And talking about novels about grief, this... This is the one. <laughs> yeah, this is one that's... Par excellence. Really, really profound, but told in an utterly unique way. I don't know about you. You have read probably a little bit wider than I, but I can't think of anything similar in the style. The only thing that's even a little bit similar in my mind is Infinite Jest. Okay. Um, but even so, not really. Only in that it's fragmented and that it has a lot of, like, end notes. Although, this book doesn't have end notes. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make you flip back and forth at all. It just has these attributions from books. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, mm, I mean, that's it's not a great comparison. But 20 years apart, there's there's an influence, okay. a very slight one, but yeah. Um, anyway, if you're intimidated by Lincoln and the Bardo, please don't be, uh, because no. I because I think it it would be a shame to miss this one, and I'm afraid I almost did, and um, I'm glad you read it, Chris, so that I could then get your perspective, and maybe maybe this podcast will help other people pick it yeah, up. Yeah, because I read I think it was one of the Indie Next reviews, and it was like this page has like a, a or this book has a fifty page learning curve, and if you can do that, then you're going to be rewarded, and it's mm -hmm. going to be great. But I think you can cut that down a by probably listening to it, and also just kind of knowing going in that it's going to be fragmented mm -hmm. and weird. It all takes place in one night mm -hmm. in a cemetery. All of the characters are ghosts, mm -hmm. except for Abraham Lincoln. Mm -hmm. Gosh, and the way they describe him. And you had told me there was a slight... You did not say 50 pages, but you said, you were like, once you get the rhythm, you'll be fine. Yeah. And I think I... And I was definitely aided by listening to it, but I think because I was coming off of Difficult Women, which was very intense for me, mm -hmm. I found such reprieve in the very beginning story and I'm not quite sure of who I know Nick Offerman was the narrator mm -hmm. I can't remember Mr. Bevins might have been yeah. his character um but his story which is very early the first two it's pages the first chapter, yeah. okay once I finished that first chapter I was like sold good I it know, took me like three I want to know everything about this like it really sounds so dumb but like it's a book that gave me chill bumps like gave me goosebumps all the time yeah <laughs> every few pages yeah. I was just 
Uh, kind so, of like writhing on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm really glad. I'm really glad I got your perspective because I'm afraid I wouldn't have picked it up otherwise. Um, I think I've texted you two thank you texts. So, so thank you I'll for pushing it. me to this one. Um, I'm also in the middle of homegoing, and I'm confident. Well, I have to finish it before the end of the month because my book club meets on Monday. Um, so, <laughs> so I, I am, I am, a quarter of the way through. I'm very mad at myself for not reading it last year. Yeah. Because, and I'm also a little bit mad at book critics. I loved The Underground Railroad, and I cannot say enough good things about that book. Homegoing deserved serious accolades that I'm not sure it received. Um, I know it received, like, some best of lists and uh-huh. thing like, things like that, but... It did not get the press of Colson Whitehead. Uh-uh. It did not. And, and look... I love the Underground Railroad. I cannot state that enough um, because I've had some customers who felt iffy about it, and I do not. I I would put that book into anybody's hands. Well, I mean, don't you know that the railroad wasn't a real railroad? You guys, that's an (laughs) argument I'm really having a hard time with as a bookseller. Um, Yeah, I understand that the Underground Railroad wasn't literal. Guess what? Colson Whitehead gets that, too. Um, But (laughs) that book is phenomenal, but homegoing. Mm. Have you read it? No. I think you would really... I'm sure gosh, I would. I think you would really like it. It is beautiful. Another gut-wrencher. Like, and I just had no idea. I'll be honest with you. I was kind of thinking Americana. Mm-hmm. And it, and sure, there yeah. are some comparisons there. But I had no idea I was going to be following this family from, like, 1700s all the way right. through. And I'm getting to see... Like, there's a timeline in the front of the book, which normally I would completely ignore and instead like I'm taking notes because I'm like well A I'm leading my book club discussion and I need to take notes but B like I'm following this family and these two parts of this family tree that are going to I think wind up very different from one another and whew, I finished a chapter this morning and just felt like nobody talked to me for a minute I'm going to need some time to process if you haven't read Homegoing, please don't put it off. I, I don't know why I put it off, and I'm so mad at myself that I couldn't advocate for this book. Not that any, not that I'm on some awards committee or something, but... Also, not like we didn't sell any. No, we, we sold, sold a lot, well. yeah. um, but now I just want to sell it to every... I think even today, I think I've worked in the store for an hour today, and I think <laughs> I told two people about it. Like, <laughs> like, no, you need to read this book. Um, so I'm in the middle of Homegoing. homegoing. We can talk about it more um, maybe next month, but... Um, Lincoln and the Bardo and Homegoing are how I'm uh, finishing the month. Strong. 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 Um, I did not finish a book this month. That's okay. Very short. But I got short. half to two-thirds through two books. Okay. So Difficult Women and then Hidden Figures. Oh, how's that going? Um, Hidden Figures is great. Okay. Um, it's, I learned that it's Margaret Lee Shetterly's first book. Wow. Yeah. Um, it starts off kind of memoir, like personal experience of like she grew up in this area and knew these women that she writes about as old, old women. Okay. Um, and she talks about like, well, I, visit, I was visiting my parents and we like left church and went to go just visit this lady. And I realized that her life was way more interesting than I ever realized as a child when I lived here among them. So then she goes out and she interviews them and writes their stories. Oh, that's pretty That's cool. really the first time. So I loved the movie. Movie is great. Um... The book is different in that the movie has clearly clearly updated some things in order to make an easier story. I, I was going to ask you if now reading the book has 
made you feel any differently about the movie? Did the movie it clean things up? The movie did clean things up and added a what I think is pretty unnecessary white savior narrative. Sure. The Kevin Costner character did not exist. Okay. That's not a real person. Um, so the whole scene of him like taking the colored label off the coffee pot and then taking the like restroom sign down like that's great and nice sure not historical nor really one of the nor most compelling n- scenes not necessary <laughs> um <laughs> my friend and I joked when we saw like Kevin Costner solved racism by taking the label off the coffee pot. Even I could have handled the label off the coffee pot, but when he started taking the bathroom sign down, I was like, "What is this supposed to prove?" And it was this whole scene of like all these women just watching him, like, "Yes, good. Now we can do this thing." Like they've gotten permission. Yeah, I was kind of like, like uh, "Take down the white sign, would it, you?" That's the bathroom right, that's closer. Right. Anyway. <laughs> so that's that is one thing. It's also updated in time a little bit. Okay. Um, they pushed it forward five ten years. Okay. To make the more compelling the space story. race okay. narrative. It took place a lot more in the 50s. Okay. Um, but that's, I mean, it's the same project. They're yeah. just working on it at an earlier stage. Although, um, everything that happens in the movie does happen in okay. the book, for the most part. Okay. Highly recommend the book. It's great. How it's are you feeling paperback. reading nonfiction? Historical nonfiction. Good. Yeah? Good. I like, I like the style in which it's written. It is very narrative. Okay. I'm about, like I said, I'm about to try to do this Hamilton thing where I at least right. read a chapter. I'm annoyed because I told Jordan, I was like, I'm going to read Hamilton this year. So what did he do? Went and listened to it. He's finished mm-hmm. already. Ugh. I'm like, you cheater. Ugh. But it was an abridged audiobook. And oh, that doesn't know, count. So that's cheating that all the way. That doesn't count. This yeah. is why I can't listen. I had grand plans to listen to Dreams of My Father yeah. this month. Yes. And Because Barack Obama himself reads it in like, oh. what a voice. Yeah. But it's abridged. Oh, and why? I, well, I mean, I guess they couldn't lock the sitting president down to, like, <laughs> okay, record fair. his entire book. <laughs> That's fair. Um, although I think he recorded it before he was elected. Um, but he was still a, like, very active politician at the time. I don't know. Um, so I haven't listened to it s- simply because of that. And I own the book, and I just wonder if I could find on the internet somewhere, a, like, a breakdown of the parts he reads and the parts that are not read. So that you so can I can listen to it and then, like, fill in the gaps yeah. with the physical copy that I own. Which I think sometimes I would like to do anyway with right. an audiobook. Um, right. Yeah. Um, um, so, I'll, uh, I don't know. I got into a, a big podcast kick this month that, like, killed all of my reading. I think that happens where we just, you just kind of get bogged down in other mediums or, mm-hmm. I don't know, I feel that way where like I get sucked into a Netflix show and I don't read. I haven't watched, t- I don't think I watched TV in February. Good for you. That's big, that's it's, big it's, for you. I don't huge. mean that to sound I mean, okay, so I watched TV, but I didn't like binge watch a show in February. Okay. I watched like the three things that I watch week to week. Okay. Um, but I just listened to so many podcasts. And, like, not, like, news, interesting podcasts, like, listening to the McElroy brothers play Dungeons and Dragons. I remember you told me about that. Like, 56 hours of it. Anyway, it was great, and it was fun, and I don't regret it even a little bit. However, I wish I had taken some of that time and finished the two books that I started. Sure. Well, I will say, you read some in January, and you're reading more than you got to do oh, last so year. Oh, so much more than I got to do last year, because I was doing schoolwork yeah, this month, too. Yes, yeah, so you've got a lot, you, you're juggling a lot of balls, so yeah. it's fair. Um, well, if you have any feedback on the books that Chris or I read this month, we would love to hear from you. Um, you can direct those emails to Chris. That's inventory at bookshelfthomasville.com. I am encouraging you, um, if you care what I read, 
there's a hashtag because it's 2017. Um, so hashtag Annie Reads 2017, and you can find all the books that we just talked about and leave your comment, and I'll interact with you there too if you prefer that. Um, as usual, you can find full episodes of From the Front Porch on iTunes or on our store website. That's bookshelfthomasville.com. And if you have been looking for them online, I did update that finally last week. It was like six weeks overdue. My apologies for that, but it is up to date as of this recording. Um, also, if you only listen to our reading recaps, that's great. However, we recommend books on every other episode of this podcast, too, and we would love for you to check those out. So no pressure, but I think you'll like them. Um, you can also leave us an iTunes review, and we would love for you we to We would do love that. that. It really does help us to reach more listeners. And, you know, we come to you for free. We're not asking for anything. Uh, we just... Uh, want to help people read good books. Yeah, and be your faraway book club. We'll be your best friends. <laughs> um, you can also follow us on Instagram at Bookshelf T-Bill and Twitter at Bookshelf T-Bill. Thanks so much for listening, and we will see you guys next week.